my friends who listen to Future Primitive. This is Joanna Harcourt-Smith with Leonard Higgins. Leonard is retired from a 31-year career with Oregon State Government focused on budget contracts and project management for large information technology projects. He was the co-founder of the Corvallis chapter of 350.org in 2012 and has been an organizer and participant in many social and climate justice efforts since then. Leonard was called to direct action in 2013 to support Native American nations in blocking transport through Oregon of tar sands extraction equipment. Along with other climate justice work, he continues to participate in direct actions, including the May 2016 two-day railway blockade of, of crude oil unit trains in Anacortes, Washington, during global break-free protest. Because of the climate change emergency, because governments and corporations have for decades increased fossil fuel extraction and carbon emissions, when instead we must dramatically reduce carbon emissions, I am committed to the moral necessity of participating in non-violent direct action to protect life. I just quoted you, Leonard, and uh, welcome to Future Primitive. Thank you, Joanna. It's a pleasure to be here with you. The first thing I want to ask you is if you would speak to us about how you, a government worker, how you have come to this place of peaceful, strong action? So there's really uh, two major influences that turn the corner into waking me up from, you know, what what we call the American dream, because it, it is a dream, it's an illusion. One is my two youngest children, and uh, they talked to me about uh, how they saw the United States and and what the history of our country is and what we stand for now. And it was so much different than what I grew up believing in and what even into my 50s I still believed about America. 
how do you see things now, Leonard? So, um, I mean, what's remained the same is a, a strong commitment and fulfillment in family and community. Um, that's been a constant. Um, I was drawn to work for the state of Oregon um, out of a sense of wanting to to contribute to do things um, contributed to uh, my community's welfare. And um, what I began to see, though, as I learned about the threat of climate change, is that my kids, my community, don't have a future, that, that it's really uncertain even whether our human civilization or human species are, are going to survive this threat. Um, I learned that that the climate uh, change impacts are, are already killing people, are already displacing people from their homes, already preventing people from having enough food and water, um, and that as time goes by, it's going to impact all of us. And I learned that people don't really see the threat, and I've spent a number of years now trying to understand why that is and to try to overcome that challenge. Um, what we're dealing with is a problem so large requiring so much cooperation and so much time to solve that as a civilization we just keep putting it off. And if we don't start now it's it may be already be too late. It it Uh, what the experts are telling us is that we've got maybe one to five years to begin aggressively reducing our global carbon emissions um, and changing the way we do forestry and agriculture, planting a trillion trees and more uh, to pull 150 gigatons of carbon out of the atmosphere uh, to embark on an emergency set of measures to bring the amount of carbon in the atmosphere back down to a safe level, 350 parts per million. Mm -hmm. And if we don't accomplish that in the next, maybe we've got 30 years, maybe we don't, we're looking at the end of our civilization, we're looking at collapse, we're looking at the end of the human species. And this isn't uh, a doomsday or, or you know, tinfoil hat kind of thing. This is what um, 97% of the world scientists are saying, and, and we just don't see that threat. And so uh, what uh, 
2016 and part of 2017. And we planned on uh, a year or more of, of talking to people, of, of trying to use the attention that, you know, these so-called middle-aged professionals, as the five of us have been called, um, why we would do such a thing. Um, and we've been uh, going to our trials in four different states, asking for jury trials and asking to present what's called the climate necessity defense. And so that's that's the work I've been doing for the last year and a half. Um, I've been myself convicted of felony criminal mischief, and I'll be finding out on the 20th in Fort Benton, Montana, uh, what sentence that um, I might receive, whether I'll be doing some prison time or, or not for that action. Um, there is a, another person in your group that um, is doing prison time or has been sentenced to prison time. Yes, Michael Foster is serving a year of prison in Bismarck, North Dakota. Um, he'll find out today, in fact, whether he'll be spending the entire year in the North Dakota State Penitentiary or if he'll be moved to another facility uh, within North Dakota. There's um, five of us that face the charges. Um, Ken Ward in Washington um, was convicted of burglary. First trial was a hung trial, even though the jury watched a video of him uh, closing the valve, uh, cutting the chain and going into the enclosure, closing the valve. Uh, they couldn't agree to convict him. A second trial, they again were uh, hung on the sabotage charge, but did uh, convict him of the lesser charge of burglary. Um, as we, we talked about, Michael Foster was charged with multiple felonies in North Dakota and was uh, convicted and sentenced to three years. Uh, the judge deferred two years, so he has two years um, that, of probation after he gets out from prison. And then uh, myself, uh, convicted um, and facing sentence on the 20th, and Annette Clapstein and Emily Johnston in Minnesota State um, are probably going to be the first people in American history to bring the climate necessity defense in court and be able to present climate uh, science experts, um, experts in sociology and the effectiveness of civil disobedience, um, expert witnesses on the threat of climate change to national security and et cetera, as well as testify themselves about the, pers the personal threat that climate change presents to themselves and their children and their communities. And right now, the state of Minnesota, though, is fighting in the Minnesota Court of Appeals to overturn their trial court judge's ruling to allow the necessity uh -huh. defense. And so we definitely are looking at that. We'll receive a decision from the Minnesota Court of Appeals by May 15th. And uh, tell us uh, uh, where we can follow the developments of um, this upcoming trial and the decision of the, the courts. 
website is shutitdown.today. That's not .com or .org. It is uh, shutitdown.today. And um, on that website, uh, you first come to uh, a screen where you can donate to our legal costs and prison support costs. Um, If you go by that, then there's a place to um, RSVP to follow any of the five court cases. Okay. um, Okay. Um, What is the reaction of your children to your courageous stance um, against the destruction of the planet? to us about your state of mind and feelings when you went with your companions to uh, shut down the valve that uh, brings oil from Alberta to the United States.
night before, stayed overnight, um, got in a car and drove uh, about 45 minutes north of Fort Benton to uh, Block Valve site on the Spectrix rest pipeline. And my heart was pounding in my chest. I, um, uh, on one part of the fear, uh, didn't know uh, since we uh, planned to call the pipeline companies ahead of time and tap into their operations uh, protocol for shutting down the pipeline. Uh, we had a communication center in Seattle that called 15 minutes ahead of our planned shutdown mm-hmm. time there in Montana and then on-site uh, individual that came to live stream it called five minutes ahead of time to notify them of the shutdown. I didn't know whether perhaps the sheriff deputies from Shoto County might arrive there before I was able to close the valve. And so that had uh, my heart in my throat a bit. And then beyond that, I, I was uncertain just about my resolve, I guess. It's, it's way out of character for me to take a large pair of bolt cutters cut a chain, go into private property in an enclosure and close a valve belonging to a company, you know, that has the responsibility for managing that equipment. Um, Again, it's, uh, we all, and, and I am at a point of despair for three decades, government and industry have known Uh, what we have to do, that we have to scale back on the use of fossil fuels, that we have to transition to alternative energy sources, that we have to change the things that we're doing that are increasing the carbon in the atmosphere to the point of, of cooking the planet. And so with that result, but uh, with equal parts of trepidation, um, I closed the valve and and had a sense of relief at at finishing that job and um, was in contact with the uh, folks in the other three states and and was um, good glad to hear that we had accomplished our plan of shutting down all five pipelines within an hour and then I waited um, patiently for the Shoto County sheriff deputies to come to the block valve site and arrest me uh-huh. and and what what were the charges there they when they arraigned you what were the charges so um i was charged and and later convicted of a felony criminal mischief in montana the threshold between a misdemeanor and fel and a felony is fifteen hundred dollars and they alleged that I did damage in cutting the the chains and coming in and closing the valve of over fifteen hundred dollars, and then um, misdemeanor criminal trespass were the two charges that was uh, given and convicted uh, by jury last November. So now you're a convicted felon. Yes. Yeah. Very strange thing for me. Yes. Yes. Do you feel that you have participated in um, 
doing what you could possibly do for to to participate in our survival as a species? Um, I have no illusions that there's any certainty about our action um, contributing to a solution. Um, I like Joanna Macy's description of yes. these times that we're in. She calls it radical uncertainty. And that's both totally frightening because we're walking along a precipice uh, not knowing whether we're going to survive or not. But on the other hand, we really don't know how all of this is going to turn out. We've seen change on a grand scale happen very rapidly, often in connection with civil disobedience. And so I think that the action we took has a chance, especially taken by relatively conservative folks, you know, um, family uh, and community and law-abiding and professional people. I am very heartened by the statewide strike of teachers in West Virginia. Right. And, and we're very hopeful that maybe, maybe what we think is an appropriate um, response by responsible members of the community, the five of us to the threat we face, uh, may inspire other people to act. And um, we are solidly committed to nonviolent, uh, prayerful uh, civil disobedience. Um, and uh, again, referencing Joanna Macy, the work that needs to be done is, is not just um, this. She describes it in three domains. And this first one is trying to slow or stop the harm. Um, the other work that's going on is really more important. It's just that it's not taking root and happening as quickly as we need it to to address this threat. The other two domains of work are creating the alternative structures and alternative ways of doing things um, that is more sustainable and lower carbon. And, you know, whether that's alternative energy or uh, different forestry and reforestation practices, um, different way of doing agriculture, transportation, you know, across the board, the changes. There are people doing that, a really important work. And we're right, I think, on the cusp of turning the corner and having the kind of commitment, energy, and social um, and public support for making those necessary changes. And then finally, the third domain is is what Joanna calls finding new ways of understanding reality, new ways of seeing our relationship with ourselves, each other, and the living earth, and to realize that, that we're all connected, that we're all um, part of, of the ecosystems that, that support our lives and the non-human lives on the planet. And so it's an exciting uh, time to, to be alive and a and, uh, nerve-wracking time uh, to be alive. Um, the other thing I want to say about um, the, the lessons I learned from Joanna, yes. and, and that's that 
that trying to hold off the despair and the grief that we see from the living world around us um, being destroyed is is part of the problem that um, that can numb us over time. That um, and she uses a spiral to help people get to the point of of actually being in grief, accepting and being in grief about what's wrong with the world. The spiral's got four parts to it. It starts with a deep gratitude for all the gifts and miracles we have in this world. The second is um, accepting and getting in touch with our pain for the world, truly grieving that loss and the loss to come, um, accepting it um, as we would the, the death of a loved one, and going on from that pain, um, using that pain and understanding of what we love, why we love it, and how precious it is to us to um, seeing with new eyes, to understanding what's happening in the world and what's our place in it. And then finally, the fourth is, is going forth, and um, that's, that's where those three domains of, of work that I talked about come in, is to find our place um, in doing that work of shifting us from an uh, industrial growth society to a life-sustaining civilization that it's a process that um, David Corton and, and Joanna have called the, the Great Turning, and it's it's um, uncertain whether we're going to make that great turning, if we're going to accomplish that, or if instead we're going to follow the the path of the, what David Corton calls the great unraveling. Um, and we're certainly starting to see that. And uh, like I said, I take hope in the radical uncertainty and the fact that we don't know uh, how things are going to turn out. And in the meantime, um, our civilization, our living earth is so precious. There's, there's no more important thing to fight for, to try to save. And so this, this action we took is the best chance we saw of, of gathering together um, in our small community and doing something that might make a difference, might get people more in touch with the emergency that we're facing. Do you know who appointed the judge that will be sentencing you? Um, I was told that when he began his judgeship that it may have been an appointment by a Democratic governor of Montana. But, yeah, I've been very curious about his politics. I've been very curious about how much he might be influenced by the reaction of fossil fuel industry in Montana if he, you know, did not uh, sentence me to jail time or vice versa. And I, I haven't been, and we haven't been able to, to find out very much about uh, him. He, the, he, he really dismissed the, uh, our motion for the necessity defense in um, what seemed like a, 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 a callous and, and unconsidered way. Um, he didn't allow a hearing for uh-huh. us to, to 
talk about why I did it, what my intent was, and where the law says that not only did I have to commit the actions that uh, meet the test of it being criminal mischief, but I had to do that with an intent to cause that criminal mischief and to uh, create damage in excess of $1,500. And so I should have been able to talk about what my intent was, that I was alarmed by the threat of climate change, that um, that here are some facts about um, why it was reasonable for me to see that as an emergency, as an, a, a threat. But each time that I said the words climate change or even got close to the um, talk about the threat and, and why I did what I did, the prosecutor objected and the judge sustained the objection and I was prevented um, from talking about my, my intent. So it's pretty much law by silencing. Yes, and, and we'll, be, we'll be appealing with um, the uh, action at Standing Rock. Could you speak about that? So how was your experience there?
angry at the unfair way that uh, they were treated by Morton County and by the state of North Dakota. Um, it was so clear to me. I was there and saw directly the the very prayerful, peaceful, nonviolent um, presence of those people. And to see the Morton County and the North Dakota state government bring in a private company, uh, Tiger Swan, with the express intent of of sabotaging the the credibility and the reputation of these honorable people and to paint them as violent, to to paint them as, as in the wrong when it's so clear that uh, this is just a continuation of the, the domination of, of people that don't have as much money and power. I, um, we have to stop that. Um, that's become what our country is about, whether it's inside the country or our presence in the world. It's using our wealth and our power to dominate and exploit um, rather than being a, a, a good citizen in the world. And I'm deeply ashamed of, of the, what our country's doing in the world, and I'm deeply ashamed of the way the Standing Rock tribes were treated. Mm-hmm. Leonard... If you had just a little time and a few words to say to supposedly the 33% of people in this country who see the environment we are from and we live in, see see the environment as something that's, uh, that's dead, as simply matter. If you just had a few minutes to talk to these people from your place of action and courage, what would you say? I think my my strongest connection with people that don't see things the same way that I do is especially to parents and to grandparents. Um, we're all members of families, you know, whether it's as, as sons or daughters or brothers or sisters and, um, and members of our community. And so um, that's, that's a common interest in the common thread I would reach out in. Um, I would remind parents of, of their children when they were just newborn and and the way most of us fall in love with the, with that infant and the how we cherish them and care for them over time and and I just ask them to look at their children uh, whether they're grown now or whether they're still in the household with them and 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 look out at the world and ask themselves that they're doing everything they can if they've chosen the right things to look out for their kids' future. Okay. Thank you. And um, in closing, 
I would like to ask you, would you describe what you sense is human dignity? trying to think about how to how to ask you for a statement of hope before we close Leonard Higgins, thank you for your courage and your deep participation and your loving presence. Thank you for the conversation, Joanna. I enjoyed it. Good. <laughs>